Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into this episode. Today we're going to talk about the incredible first round of the World Superbike Championship season at the fantastic Phillip Island Circuit just off the coast of Melbourne in Australia. And as usual, at Phillip Island, we were treated to an absolute cracker uh, of a weekend. All three races uh, of the weekend going down to just millimetres over the line, sometimes with multiple riders passing over the line almost exactly the same moment. And in Phillip Island, the way that the circuit is laid out, it's a very, very high-speed circuit, um, a lot of high-speed corners, and always encourages great motorcycle racing where no one rider can really make a break away from from the field and bunching up all the riders together which causes just most the most fantastic action the Phillip Island circuit uh, is the traditional season opening race um, right now for the World Superbike Championship and always does provide great entertainment but this weekend gave us a little bit more than normal and I think what it gave us is real optimism that we're in for a much more exciting World Superbike season than we've perhaps had in the last couple of years. In the last number of years we've had Jonathan Ray domination. We've had Jonathan Ray winning the last five world titles in emphatic fashion and it's been quite an incredible thing to see just someone dominating the sport so much um, but this weekend he certainly had the most amount of competition on his hands and also what we've seen is that finally there could be more than two manufacturers really realistically challenging for race wins every single weekend. In fact, throughout the throughout the weekend at Phillip Island, there could have been four or five manufacturers who could have won that ra- won those races over the weekend. So it was so so pleasing to see such fantastic racing and to see bike racing back um back for 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 a new season in 2020. Unfortunately, um, with our our friends over in the MotoGP paddock, um, unfortunately they've had the first round of the season at Qatar cancelled. The Moto2 and Moto3 riders will race on um, at the weekend because they're already in Qatar for um, for a test, so they can do that. But of course, you know the the coronavirus um, outbreak has has caused the MotoGP organisers um, to unfortunately cancel the MotoGP class. A couple of reasons: one, uh, obviously, it's a very international paddock, and a lot of the teams coming from the and personnel coming from the northern part of Italy. Um, so it was going to make it, the event very very difficult to put on with all the travel bans and things that are in place. So unfortunately, that's Qatar, which is normally a great MotoGP race. And also we found out that the the Thailand round will be postponed until later in the year. So it's looking like at the moment that the Circuit of the Americas um, may actually be the the first round or possibly uh, Argentina. Um, We'll just need to we'll just need to wait and see. So it was great to see World Superbikes get started uh, with some fantastic action because we've been starved of brilliant bike racing since um, the MotoGP season closed uh, um, in the kind of middle of November. So it's great to have bikes back on track. 
So what did we see over the weekend then? Well, we saw what you could only, you could certainly say was a reshuffling of the pack uh, and and much more of an air of unpredictability returning to uh, the World Superbike Championship and proving that World Superbikes, um, the, the technical rule set, the riders involved, the motorcycles involved can produce close racing with plenty of overtaking. Certainly racing around the Phillip Island circuit helps that, but I think we've, we can have extra optimism than normal. The first race was just abs- absolutely um, enthralling from, from the word go. Um, in the early laps, all the old teammates, the old nemesises, um, Jonathan Ray and Tom Sykes. Of course, Jonathan Ray came into the Kawasaki team that was very much Tom Sykes' team, uh, came in and beat him straight away and continued beating him until Tom Sykes retreated and left the team um, to join the the BMW uh, World Superbike team run by Sean Muir Racing. So, and this year, uh, it looks like um, BMW have come to the party with a much, much better motorcycle than they did last year with a much more tuned up engine that can compete wheel to wheel with the other manufacturers. But, you know, there's, there was never any love lost between Tom Sykes and Jonathan Ray. They did not get on. They had a couple of clashes on track, but it was very much uh, Jonathan Ray who had the upper hand. And as you can imagine, Tom Sykes was not so happy about that. So caused quite a lot of animosity at the time. Now, the, the layout at Phillip Island, it was, particularly when you're coming around the middle part of the lap, there is some incredibly fast changes of direction. And when you have multiple bikes looking for the same piece of tarmac, inevitably there can be uh, there can be clashes. And that was exactly what happened with jo- Tom Sykes and Jonathan Ray in the early stages of race one uh, on Saturday afternoon in Australia. Basically, what happened was Tom Sykes was holding his line. Jonathan Ray was on the outside of him, on the right-hand side as they were passing through a very, very fast left-hand corner, heading up to the Lukey Heights um, corner, which is basically where you go over a, over a blind crest and have to brake very, very hard to turn into a tight hairpin bend. So it's a, it's a very, very tricky part of the circuit. And basically what happened was Tom Sykes was holding his line, perhaps didn't know that Jonathan Ray was there, perhaps Jonathan Ray didn't see Tom Sykes on his inside, and, and there was a small contact, and that was enough at that speed to send Jonathan Ray off into the gravel. But incredibly, probably showing his uh, his um, provenance in, in motocross, you know, Jonathan Ray often says, he says, I'm just a failed motocross rider that had to go road racing. Um, a little flippant, of course, but Jonathan Ray was a very successful motocross rider in his, in his youth, and that showed when he got pinged into the gravel trap at very, very high speed. Um, and was able to keep the bike upright to go through the gravel on a bike with slick tyres, make his way around the grass and back onto the circuit, joining the joining the race uh, in last place. But what what went on after that was just pure, one hundred percent Jonathan Ray brilliance. He was able to just step up a completely new level all of a sudden, and you just wonder if Jonathan Ray always rides with that extra 5% up his sleeve and only deploys it exactly when he needed to. And this was one example where he's at the back of the field, first race of the season, and all his potential championship rivals are away up in the distance. And what he did from that position was extraordinary, how he just 
absolutely sliced through the field and was getting back up into a competitive um, a competitive position and he took absolutely no prisoners when cutting through the field and actually making contact light contact with one or two uh, riders on his way through however Jonathan Ray was pushing so so hard that coming through a corner called the hay shed one of the fastest corners on the circuit, close to 140, 150 miles an hour corner, left-hander, and he, you just saw him lose the front, and the bike went out from underneath him, he fell off and tumbled into the gravel at incredibly high speed and was put through a very high spin washing machine as he went tumbling through the gravel, and no points game over for, for race one, and very, very lucky to escape serious injury. It's not often that you see riders crash at that at that particular corner, so it shows you. And Jonathan Ray is not a guy who crashes very often. Um, it showed you just how hard he was pushing to get back up, um, back up into the point scoring position. However, he did enjoy. A, um, a, he, he managed to win the Sunday morning Super Bowl uh, race, um, and and also fared well in the second race of, of the weekend as well. So he was able to recover it uh, a little bit. So that was that was only the first opening laps of the um, of race one. But what we saw after that was just incredible. We saw Tom Sykes on the BMW lead from the front like he used to in his old Kawasaki days. Unfortunately as the race went on, he he as his tire dropped away in grip, he fell back quite considerably, and that that showed in all three races that the BMW seems to have a problem keeping the tire to making the tire last over um over an entire race. That was very much the Achilles heel of uh, the BMW bike after showing early race pace. But what we saw was we saw once Sykes had dropped off, we had six a pack of six riders all just glued together. We had a BMW in there, we had two Yamahas, we had a Honda, we had a Ducati, and we had Kawasaki. It was it was just brilliant to sit there watching so many different styles of bikes, different styles of riders, all competing on a level playing field. Again, we mustn't forget the Phillip Island factor. That's very typical of the layout of the circuit at Phillip Island. But as I say, it's something we've not seen for a number of seasons, and let's just hope that that translates throughout the rest of the season uh, as well. Scott Redding, wow, what a debut for him! You know, Scott Redding's had a he's had a turbulent few years uh, in the MotoGP World Championship, and actually retreated back to the British Superbike Championship last year to race on. Even though he's of a British origin, he hasn't actually ever raced on very many of the tracks in the United Kingdom as he made he cut his teeth in global motorcycle racing in Spain like many Grand Prix riders do. Um but he, he left the MotoGP title uh, the MotoGP championship with not as much success as he maybe would have liked in a, a series of seasons on uncompetitive machinery. But he retreated back to the British Superbike Championship, which might seem like it was a foregone conclusion that he would win that championship, but actually not. There are a number of riders who have retreated from the world level, uh, the world championship level, both in Superbikes and in MotoGP, that have gone to British Superbikes and have done absolutely nothing. Um, because the circuits are so particular in their style, you've got to think of like, circuits like Brands Hatch Indy, Knock Hill, uh, Snetterton, Cadwell Park, these are not Grand Prix tracks, they are so far away from what a, a Grand Prix uh, style track is. Um, races like Donington and Silverstone, of course they are Grand Prix tracks, much wider, much bigger, much faster tracks. Um, you know, going from a prototype 
you know, carbon fiber-based machine, um, Ducatis and Aprilias and things like that, like he did uh, in MotoGP, to go to effectively a production motorcycle with a, a more basic electronic rider aid system than even the street bike comes with, as is the rules in British Superbike, to come from a, a bike that was just so different, completely different tyres, tyres that are like jelly, the Pirelli tyres that they use in British Superbikes are just far softer and squidgier in their construction than the brick-hard Michelins that they use in MotoGP. So Scott Redding had everything to learn, and he was up against one of the finest British Superbike riders in history, Josh Brooks, and he was able to beat him in a straight fight. So in doing so, he got his seat at the Aruba.it factory Ducati team in World Superbike. And when he came up to World Superbike, it's not unusual for a British Superbike champion to move up to World Superbike and again be eaten alive, kind of the small fish, big pond kind of syndrome. But there was none of that at the weekend. Um, Scott Redding came came into the weekend and scored three podium finishes um, in, in all in, across all three races and sits, goes into round two a second in the championship behind Alex Lowe's. So Alex Lowe's, absolutely fantastic weekend um, for um, for the Derbyshireman, um, finishing second in that race one. They're in the battle all the time. It looked like he was maybe just off the back of the group, but as it came into the real, um, real nitty-gritty of the race in the last five laps, where particularly at Phillip Island, the tyre is usually completely finished, and that was where Alex Lowe's came into his own in each race. When the tyre was beginning to drop off, was beginning to lose grip, he was right there, because he's been very low-profile in testing. He's not been sitting any big Hollywood times but he's just been chipping away quietly getting that bike ready for those first races and that paid big big dividends for um for Alex Lowe's and we'll talk a little bit more about Alex when we go on to race two uh, as as well in the closing stages of race one it was it was a classic Phillip Island race it reminded me a lot of the MotoGP race in 2015 where Iannone, Marquez, Rossi, Lorenzo all battled toe-to-toe with one another. Um, and what we saw from the white flag to the checkered flag in the last lap of the race, top rack Rascati Oglu just showed just why Yamaha have put the faith in him and how good a scoop that is for the Yamaha World Superbike project. And we actually saw four riders virtually side-by-side side going over the line. It could have been anybody's race in that long drag down the hill down the Bass Strait, uh, absolutely incredible. And in that first race, we saw Top Rack Razgatioglu winning his first race with the Yamaha World Superbike team. Very, very closely followed by Alex Lowe's, and then very, very closely behind that, followed by Scott Redding. And then in fourth, very unlucky to miss the podium, was at the at the front of the race all the way through, Michael van der Mark, again on the factory Yamaha World Superbike machine. It was just such a joy after a long winter without racing just to see such a spectacle in race two we had another uh we had a similar massive dogfight all the way through um the race you know the, the philip island circuit particularly a lot of where the action was happening was after uh, turn three which is named which is actually called stoners after the their the double world champion um, Casey Stoner, MotoGP world champion because Casey Stoner used to be absolutely exceptional to watch around this corner it's a very very fast fifth gear 
left-hander um, almost flat out with the bike sliding and slithering around and basically as soon as you get the bike to straighten up it's time to hang on to the brakes for a first gear very very tight um, hairpin corner. Now what that allows is for the following rider so if you're going around this very fast left-hand bend and you have someone following behind you, they have the opportunity to stalk on, on your shoulder, on your right shoulder, and then just dive bomb up on the, on the brakes uh, and slow the pace of the race up. Now, that is exactly what we saw in race two in particular, because we saw the wonderful Frenchman, Loris Baz, on the privately run, privately funded 10 Cate Yamaha, run by um, Tenkate um, in, in Holland. Tenkate for years ran the Honda World Superbike team and winning world championships with James Tosland and people like that. But they've had a hard couple of years as the ageing Honda um, Fireblade didn't really perform for them. So they've actually made the switch, a very surprising switch, over to, to Yamaha. But it's been quite a successful switch, actually. And with Loris Baz on that bike, he, well, there's one thing about Loris Baz. He, he's never, never struggling for a lack of trying, anyway, that's for sure. And we saw him really in there battling with all the big factory guys. You know, with both factory Yamahas, Top Rack, Razgati Oglu, Michael Vandermark. Alex Lowe's on the Kawasaki, Scott Redding on the Ducati. We even saw Chaz Davies making it up there in the sec in in race um in the second feature race as well. So it was just exceptional to watch. But we had some of the most incredible heart and mouth moments at the courtesy of Loris Baz because the way that Loris Baz was able to ride around the outside of most of his competitors going round Stoner Corner, which on a MotoGP bike is about 170 miles an hour. World Superbike machine, it won't be too far behind that. And then breaking down for about a 40 miles per hour uh, hairpin. So it's an incredibly, it's the best opportunity on the circuit to, to make a pass. And what we saw um, on in the first instance was Loris Baz trying to go around the outside of Michael Vandermark. And Michael Vandermark didn't know he was there moved over to the right of the circuit and of course left Loris Baz with absolutely nowhere to go but onto the grass. So if you can imagine going onto the grass on a motorcycle at 160 miles an hour, I cannot imagine how frightening that much actually be. But Loris Baz was able to keep the bike straight, come back onto the circuit, not take anybody out at the hairpin and somehow not even lose all that much time. It was one of the most incredible pieces of riding I've ever seen. Um, almost, almost as good as Jonathan Ray in race one. And this is this is almost a season's worth of action that we had last year in World Superbike all in the first weekend. It was great. Um, but then what we saw a few laps later, top rack Razgati Oglu, who was one of the fastest riders of the weekend and was leading the championship into the final race of the weekend, he was in front again of Loris Baz and unfortunately coming around Stoner's Corner, like we say, 160 miles an hour plus, his bike decides to break down and cut out midway through that corner with Loris Baz right behind him. And how Loris avoided ploughing into the back of him and causing a huge accident, it just shows that it's it's always easy for media or fans to criticise any of these riders who are out there, but actually... Really, they should be they should be praised for however they perform because, really, that is superhuman reactions to. If you go back and watch it, I'm sure it's all over YouTube or Twitter or whatever. 
incredible um, that Loris Baz was able to avoid contact with Toprak and 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 also not come off his bike again. So this is the second trip he had through the grass at Stoner's Corner. So, um, but unfortunately, Toprak, who was leading the championship to there, unfortunately came away in that final race with no points, um, but still not too far behind uh, in the championship. One thing that we can also take away, um, which is really, really positive for the this World Superbike season, is the parity in straight line performance between each motorcycle. So in, in World Superbikes, we have the Ducati um, V4R Panigale. We have the brand new Honda Fireblade CB Triple R, now it's called. Um, we have the Yamaha R1. Uh, we have the Kawasaki ZX10 and we have the BMW S1000RR as well. So we've got a huge spread uh, of motorcycles from all over the world. But uh, in last season, we saw in the early stages of the year an absolutely embarrassing difference in straight line performance between the Ducati and virtually everybody else. Uh, the diminutive Alvaro Bautista winning I think, I think it was 10 out of 11 of the first races of the year, simply by having a, just an extraordinary advantage in straight line speed, where he was more or less able to mirror signal, mirror signal manoeuvre and blast past any of his rivals at will. This weekend, at uh, one year later at Phillip Island, we saw none of that. The Honda, strangely, the brand new Honda, has actually been very, very quick through the speed traps, after being the slowest bike last year, but this is a brand new motorcycle with a new engine and everything. So, but what we saw was no particular manufacturer having any sort of advantage or disadvantage from the other. And it, that is really, really, really important to ensure um, the closeness of the racing. So that was one, one thing that stuck out the most to me was the parity in straight line performance. Mentioned um, Alex Lowe's. Alex Lowe's, I want to talk quite a bit about, about your Alex because I've been watching him ever since he came into British Superbikes with the MFR Honda team uh, in the Evo class in the British Superbike Championship when the Evo class was effectively a trial run for the following year's technical rules where they, they realised that they needed to dramatically reduce costs and allow smaller teams to be able to compete at the front and the rules have been a massive success. What they did was they basically um, banned teams from having their own um, complicated electronic systems which control like, the traction control, anti-wheelie, um, these kinds of things. Um, that the, These are the sort of systems that are very, very expensive to run and to program uh, and to implement into your bike and to set up. So they took that out and they decided to, to make the bike have everybody had to use exactly the same um, Motec specification electronic system to try and minimise the difference between each type of motorcycle. And it's been a, absolutely a resounding success. Um but Alex Lowe's came in on the MFR Honda and then the next year signed for the, the sort of semi-factory Samsung Honda team and won the British Superbike title in 2013 against series legend Shane Shaky Byrne and then progressed on to the World Superbike Championship signing with Crescent Suzuki where he spent a number of years until they moved to the Yamaha, um, the Yamaha team. And at the end of, at the end of last year, um, Alex announced that he would be leaving the Yamaha team and uh, would be signing for the factory Kawasaki team. Now, 
It would be fair to say that Alex Lowe's, in his World Superbike career, which is now six or seven seasons, he's never, you could never say that he's been on a consistent race winning package ever in his World Superbike career. Certainly not when he was racing the uh, Suzuki um, GSXR, and most of the time not with the Yamaha R1 either, um, because his very, very fast teammate Michael Vandermark had similar difficulties to be fighting at the front a lot. However, that cannot be said about the Kawasaki. The Kawasaki has been the class of the field in World Superbikes for for the more than the last five years. Jonathan Ray's won for the last five years, and of course we had Tom Sykes winning the championship uh, as as well. So this is the first time in Alex Lowe's career in World Superbikes where he's had the genuine opportunity. It's two things. It's an opportunity and a challenge at the same time. The opportunity to know that he's stepping on a motorcycle that can win any race in the championship. That's a fact. That is, The bike is always there, always in a potential race-winning position. However, the challenge is, is that although he's got this great new tool to be able to help him compete at the front, his challenge is he's got to go up against arguably the greatest superbike rider of all time in Jonathan Ray. And what he did at Phillip Island at the weekend really showed just how serious he is about that and just what we can what we can think or what we can you know what can be in store for us um, watching Alex through the rest of the year. Might we see a rivalry between Alex Lowe's and Jonathan Ray? Perhaps if Alex Lowe's is able to beat Jonathan on a regular basis, that's something that Jonathan Ray has become very used to not having to worry about over the last number of seasons. So it's going to be such an intriguing storyline to watch. And I think that's so important because storylines are something that World Superbikes is desperately, desperately needing. And I think this year we're going to have more than one um, storyline behind that. We're going to have, you know, we've got Alex Lowe's leading the championship. We've got Scott Redding in second. Um, we've got Toprak, Razgatioglu in third, so we've got, and we've got Jonathan Ray in fourth. So we've got three different manufacturers in the top four. It's going to be an exceptional season. I can't wait um, for the next round uh, to see how, how things are going to shake out. We will see little differences. Phillip Island, as I say, is a special example. Let's just hope that that translates into the new, the, into the other circuits, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident that it will. Thank you very much indeed um, for tuning in to uh, this episode about World Superbikes. I hope you have uh, enjoyed it. Uh, if you uh, have been enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe uh, on your chosen podcast provider uh, and you will get a handy notification anytime a new episode is coming up. And with my trip to Sebring uh, in America in a couple of weeks time, there'll be lots of new content coming out from that. I've got a couple of great interviews lined up, so don't forget to subscribe before then. Uh, if you've been enjoying the show, also leave a review on iTunes if you're an iTunes user. That really helps to, to boost the show up uh, as well. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch via my website, which is petermckaymotorsport.com. Or um, send us a little tweet on at Mackay Podcast. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again very soon. <laughs>